If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. We've been doing a series entitled Unprecedented, Unprecedented. Uh, We've been saying that God is a God of the now, God is a God of the new, God is a God who wants to do something fresh, something that's not been done before, and uh, the only requirement is that we're willing, amen, and that we're receptive to what God wants to do. How many want God to do something new and fresh in your life and in this place today? Amen, amen, unprecedented. I want to begin by reading from 1 Chronicles chapter 13, the first four verses. Uh, It says, David conferred with each of his officers the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly, if it seems good to you and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I want to draw particular attention to that phrase in verse 3. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. The title of my message today, this fifth message in the unprecedented series, uh, the title of today's message is Presence, Glory, and Blessing. Presence, glory, and blessing. I want to give some historical context to the few verses that we just read. Uh, We see from uh, earlier portions of Scripture that Moses had been instructed by God to build a box of acacia wood and overlay it with gold. On its sides, rings were attached through which poles were inserted, and the ark was carried by the poles. The top of the ark was the mercy seat, a lid of pure gold. On each of the two ends of the mercy seat was a golden cherubim, an angel in other words, who looked down over the mercy seat and had its wings outstretched over it. The ark served as a container for the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments and the Law of Moses. Later, manna from the wilderness wanderings and the rod of Aaron the high priest were added. The most important thing we need to understand is that the mercy seat between the cherubim was where the omnipresent God chose to locally manifest his presence. And that's our focus for today. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, Aaron the high priest would sprinkle the blood of a slain animal on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of Israel. Now the background of today's passage uh, goes back to one of the worst days in Israel's history when the ark was captured. The account in 1 Samuel 4 describes the wicked sons of the high priest Eli uh, taking the ark into a battle against the Philistines, attempting to use the ark like a good luck charm, hoping it would bring them luck in battle. Uh, But Israel lost the battle. 30,000 men perished and the Philistines captured the ark. 
When Eli the high priest hears of his son's deaths in battle and the ark's fate, fate, he has a heart attack and he too dies. His pregnant daughter-in-law goes into labor and dies in childbirth and in recognition of the tragic events of that day, the child is named Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed. The Philistines keep the ark uh, for a short time, but in every city where it's taken, the people get sick and develop tumors. Finally, the Philistines return the ark to Israel, where it remains in the house of a man named Abinadab for 20 years. The Bible says that during the reign of Saul, quote, the people did not inquire of the ark, end quote. Now when David becomes king and defeats the Philistines as recorded in 1 Chronicles 12 and 2 Samuel 5, he holds a meeting to discuss the re returning the ark to Jerusalem. And that's the context for the verses we read. Everyone agrees it's a great idea, so they plan an elaborate celebration inviting people from all over Israel to join the party, to join the parade. And so they're moving along and the ark is on a cart where the Philistines had placed it, and everything's going along fine until the oxen uh, pulling the cart hit a rough patch. The, cart, the, the ark begins to shift on the cart, and a man named Uzzah reaches out and touches the ark to steady it. Well, the Old Testament instructions, the instructions from God specified that no one was allowed to touch the ark itself, and immediately Uzzah, though his intentions were good, immediately he died. Talk about ruining the parade, the procession. And so uh, the uh, event was a tragic and horrible public embarrassment for David. This was his first official civic activity. Uh, the people knew he was a great warrior, but leading the nation required additional skills. The parade uh, included thousands of soldiers, leaders from all parts of the country, country, a coordination of civic responsibilities requiring months of planning. No wonder the scripture says David was angry. The ark was then stationed at the house of a man named Obed-Edom, where it was in place for three months. And he experienced great blessing while this ark was in his household. And in the following verses, the scripture records David's second attempt to bring the ark uh, back to its rightful place. Now keep in mind, the ark represented the manifest presence, glory, and blessing of God. And David, who was a man after God's own heart, though he failed in his first attempt to do the right thing, how many know you can try to do the right thing but do it in the wrong way? That's what David did. But he learned from his mistake. He now takes a different approach. This morning, I want to use this uh, passage of Scripture describing bringing back the, 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 the physical symbol of the manifest presence, glory, and blessing of God uh, to talk about our need uh, to prepare the way for the manifest presence, glory, and blessing of God in our midst. You and I can't create revival, but we can sure do a lot to prevent it. I don't want to be guilty of that, do you? 
I want to pave the way for a move of God that we've been talking about. I want to prepare the way for the unprecedented of, of God to take place. And so this morning, I want to answer the question in the next few minutes, what principles must we follow to experience the manifest presence, glory, and blessing of God? The first principle we need to follow is submit to Scripture. Submit to Scripture. We see in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, the first two verses, it says, After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. The first principle of carrying uh, the presence of God and the glory and the blessing of God being prepared for it and overcoming failure is to submit to the scriptures. In other words, to do things God's way. How many know things always work better when we do things God's way? As I said before, you can try to do the right thing but do it in the wrong way. After failing to bring the ark to Jerusalem, David researched the scriptures to discover the specific instructions for transporting the ark. This revelation has enormous application for New Testament believers. David learned that the ark was supposed to be carried by the priests, the Levites, not uh, displayed on ox carts. The Old Testament priests literally carried the glory of God upon their shoulders. These specific instructions were a picture of the amazing truth proclaimed in the New Testament concerning those who follow Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 describes New Testament believers, that's you and me, as a royal priesthood declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Did you know that if we're born again Christians, we are royal priests unto God? That we, uh, we handle the glory of God. We handle the manifest presence of God. You see, in David's first attempt, uh, he uh, did what a lot of groups do. He called a committee meeting. God deliver us from committees. Sometimes they're necessary. But you know what? When God tells you to do something, you don't need a committee to decide whether or not to do it or not. Come on. When God tells you to do something, you don't need to call a committee and say, well, what do you think? Let's list the pros and cons. No, there's one pro. God told us to do it, and there are no cons. Hallelujah. So David scrapped his committee idea. He said, let's look at the word of God. Let's see what God has to say. God's will is not determined by committees, by Robert's rules of order. The majority can be wrong. How many know that? Majority is not always right. And if you're going to say, Pastor Tim, you're having a business meeting in two weeks, are you going to vote? Yes, we're going to vote. But hopefully we'll have the mind of God, amen, to determine what his will is, not what our preference is, not what our fancy is. God's word is always right. It is always right. Always right. 100% of the time it is always right to obey the word of God as we understand it. It's never wrong. It's never questionable. It's never, well, let me, let me think about it. No. It's always right to obey the word of God. So to experience the manifest presence, glory, and blessing of God, we need to be submitted to the scriptures. 
You see, we, t we talk about reading the Word of God, and there's a sad lack of, of biblical understanding in today's Christian church. I hate to say it, but it's true. But, but uh, even more important than reading, or as important as reading the Word of God, is living by the Word of God. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we brush off the Word of God, or we rationalize it, or we kind of, you know, just ignore it when it suits our fancy church. We can't do that. We have to order our lives according to Scripture. Now, I know we don't always agree on every minute detail of Scripture. I get that. But as we understand the Word of God, we need to follow it with our whole heart. We need to do things God's way. As I said, we can't create a revival, but we can sure prevent one when we don't place a priority on the things of God and on the Word of God. Amen? So let's you and I redetermine today. Let's you and I rededicate ourselves to saying we're going to do things God's way. We're going to order our lives God's way. We're going to order our finances God's way. We're going to order our homes God's way. We're going to order our business practices God's way. We're going to come into the house of God God's way. We're going to be submitted to the scriptures in every area of our lives. First step, first principle in... Um, Experiencing the manifest presence, glory, and blessing of God is submit to the scriptures. Are you submitted to the word of God? I heard what that preacher said. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I have my rights. Listen, you and I surrender our rights when we bow the knee and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We submit to his lordship, and, and by definition, that means we submit to his holy word. God help us. What areas of your life are not submitted to Scripture? I ask that respectfully. I ask that of myself. What areas of your life are not pleasing to God? See, the problem isn't for most of us that we don't know enough. It's that we don't live uh, by what we know. Come on, I've said that before. You've heard others say it, but it's true. We need to submit to the Scriptures. What's the second principle to experience the manifest presence, glory, and blessing of God? It's be sensitive to the sacred. Be sensitive to the sacred. The contrast between the two attempts is startling. While the first attempt was a carnival atmosphere, the second was a reverent yet joyful experience. The first procession was filled with fanfare. The second was filled with blood. Notice how the priests traveled. Uh, I have this, we have this scripture, 2 Samuel 6, verses 12 and 13. It says, So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And then in 1 Chronicles 15, 26, because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. So putting these two passages together, uh, these two parallel accounts, we see that after the priest took six steps, they sacrificed a bull. And this happened seven times. You see, the road to God's glory is filled with blood. Uh, it says in Hebrews 10, 19, we enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The blood of the bulls signified uh, to the future the blood of the spotless Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this became 
a sacred occasion. Now, it was still joyful. See, somehow we get the notion that, that joyfulness and sacredness are mutually exclusive. That's not the case. It was a joyful experience still, but there was a sacredness about it. I want you to notice another, another aspect. It's found in 1 Chronicles 15, 27. We have that scripture for you. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and as were the singers, and Kenaniah, who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. David also wore a linen ephod. In the first processional, David was dressed as king uh, to acknowledge his military exploits. But by the second attempt, David grew in his appreciation that God doesn't share his glory. So the king of Israel, in the second procession, refused to wear his royal robes. Instead, he wore the same linen garment as the priest. The second journey was all about God. The focus wasn't on the great warrior King David, it was on David's God, amen? Psalm 24 provides a brief snapshot of this truth. Scholars believe that this psalm was sung as the ark was being brought into the city. The psalm asks the question, who is the king of glory? And the reply comes back, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. David got it right the second time. If we want to experience the manifest presence, glory, and blessing of God, we need to be sensitive to the sacred. We live in a profane world. We, we live in a world of evil. And, and, and God in his holiness and his sacredness wants to come and visit with us. We need to be sensitive to the fact, yes, there's joy. Yes, there's joy. I'll never, never sacrifice the joy of the Lord. The Word of God says in His presence is fullness of joy. But there's also a sacredness. And the presence of God should inspire a holy awe within us. Come on, church. We are here in the sanctuary. We are gathered together. We, God is drawn to uh, our praises and He comes and He dwells among us. And let me tell you, it's not a carnival when God comes, but it is a sacred assembly. It is a sacred gathering. We are in the presence of the King of Kings. We are in the presence of a holy God. Amen? And sometimes we can treat the presence of God too cavalierly. We can treat it too casually. I love to hear the voices of people fellowshipping before the service. Nothing wrong with that. But boy, the truth of the matter is we're here to meet with the living God. We are here to meet with him. And yes, we can, we, we, we can and should worship him and have sacred times when we're alone in our prayer closet. But there's something dynamic when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ comes together. When the church of the Lord lifts up praise and adoration and begins to enter into the throne room like we sang about this morning. And the presence of God by his Holy Spirit comes down and begins to fill the sanctuary. Hallelujah. And we are overcome with a sense of awe that the King of Kings is in our midst the holy God the Lord of Lords is here hallelujah moving among us it's a sacred thing it's an awesome privilege hallelujah oh God come and visit us afresh God come and oh Lord renew us by your presence hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Are we sensitive to the sacred presence of God? Do we come in expecting to meet with him? Or is it just another ritual? Is it just another, another hour and a half spent in a building? You know what God said in one place in the Old Testament? The God who had prescribed the rituals, had prescribed the sacrifices, and, and, and laid it out to a T exactly what Israel was to do. At one point later in the Old Testament, God said to Israel, you know what, I'm sick of your sacrifices. I'm sick of the, the, the aroma coming up to me. I'm sick of your religious practices because you're, you're, you're doing it as a ritual, as a form, and your heart's not in it. God said, I'm sick of your ritual." God help us. I wonder sometimes if God would, if we could hear the voice of God, He would say to us, I'm sick of your songs. I'm sick of your religious rituals because your heart's not in it. God help us. God help us to experience the manifest presence, glory, and blessing of God. We need to be sensitive to the sacred. God give us a holy appreciation and a love for his divine presence. What's the third thing we need to do to experience the manifest presence, glory, and blessing of God? We, you need to sanctify your soul. Sanctify your soul. Part of being sensitive to the sacred is preparing ourselves through sanctification or consecration, which means being made holy or set apart for divine purpose. 1 Chronicles 15, verses 11 through 14, describes David's exhortation for the priests to consecrate themselves. We, we have it for you. Uh, listen to this. Then David summoned Zadok and Abiathar the priests, and Uriel, Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab the Levites. He said to them, you are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the God of the Lord, the God of Israel. As New Testament priests this morning, we must allow God to cleanse us, to set us apart as holy so that his glory will shine in our lives. The word of God says that if we confess our sins, that the Lord Jesus is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? The Apostle Paul exhorted Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 2.21 to be a vessel of honor made holy and useful to the master and equipped for every good work. We see in Scripture from the Old Testament into the New that men and women of God who uh, God had appointed for a divine purpose, they were sanctified, they were consecrated, they were set apart. And as David here told the, the Levites and priests who would be carrying the ark, he said, consecrate yourselves, sanctify your soul, uh, make sure you are right with God. None of us live perfect, sinful lives. We know that. That's why we rely on the, that scripture I just read, that, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But there is an element, there is an intentionality to consecrating ourselves, setting our, ourselves apart. 
and being holy vessels. The New Testament talks about lifting up holy hands. Did you know the Bible doesn't just say lift up your hands? It says lift up holy hands. Consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart. Can you imagine if we would come in? We can fellowship, we can laugh, we can be joyful, but if we would come into this sanctuary uh, before 10.30 on a Sunday morning having prayed, Lord, I consecrate myself to you today. Lord, I set myself apart to you today. Lord, I come into your sanctuary, not just for you to minister to me, but God, for you to minister through me. Lord, I want to minister to you. Did you know we can minister to the Lord? Worshiping the Lord isn't just, you know, singing slow songs, as I said before, feeling good. It's ministering to the Lord. Lifting up holy hands. Presenting him with a heart that is sanctified, that is consecrated. Says, Lord, I am set apart for you. I belong to you. It's interesting that the ark had first resided in Abinadab's house for 20 years, and there's no uh, record that there was any manifestation of the power, blessing, or glory of God. But the three months it was at Obed-Edom's house, it was a different story. When we set our hearts apart, we set the stage for God to move in our midst. I want to move God, don't you, church? Come on, we've had ritual. We've had enough of the works of man. We've had enough of our own plans. We need a move of Almighty God. Conclusion this morning. How many have heard in the last few weeks about the Asbury Revival? If you haven't, you need to look it up online. College in, in Kentucky met for a regular chapel service on February the 8th, 11 days ago. And the chapel service has run continuously for the last 11 days. And uh, I, I saw one of the student body president interviewed on, uh, on Tucker Carlson, of all places. <laughs> and she quoted Habakkuk 1.5, the scripture that they're latching onto in that revival. Look at the nations and watch. They've had people come from all parts of the world in the last 11 days. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. God says, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Hallelujah. That's the word of Almighty God. We've seen revivals before. They had a, a similar revival right about this time of the year in 1970 in that same college. I mentioned to you last week the Brownsville revival, five-year revival, what my wife and I were privileged to, to experience. And there have been other awesome moves of God but let me tell you, this is not that. This is not your grandfather's revival or your parents' revival because God is doing something new and something fresh. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah! You know, someone, someone observed, you know, when the waves of the ocean come into the shore and, uh, you know, the, the waves come in and each wave has its own amount of force, own amount of power, and then that wave hits the shore and begins receding back. And as a new wave is coming in, you have the old wave going out. And you know what fights against the new wave? The old wave. 
receding back. The old wave fights against the new. But praise God, the new wave has a greater force. It overcomes the old wave, and there's a new wave that comes to the shore. Hallelujah. Thank God for past revivals. Thank God for what he's done in the past, but he's doing something new. Hallelujah. I have a short video. I just want to show you a couple segments from that Asbury revival. Let it bless your heart right now. Hallelujah. tell you there have been people already criticizing that revival there always will be but I don't care if that doesn't move you then something's wrong because there, there, are, there are young people there seeking the face of God don't tell me this young generation is lost as long as there are people like that seeking God amen and that's the kind of heart we need to have what principles must we follow to experience the manifest presence, glory, and blessing of God? We need to submit to Scripture. We need to order our lives and everything we do according to the Word of God. We need to be sensitive to the sacred. We need to understand uh, when we're in the presence of God, and we need to sanctify our souls and say, Lord, set me apart. Lord, consecrate me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.